Hi everyone, thanks for joining me on this webinar today. Today we'll talk about how to do due diligence for healthcare startup. This will be a short presentation followed by a conversation with our guests, Liu Zhang and Shubra. I'll be talking about what I look for in the team, the product, the market metrics, and the regulatory framework I look at. If it's your first time investing in a startup, generally, I would advise you to have a screening criteria. My screening criteria is fairly simple and it's mostly based around the team. The founders must have known each other ideally for more than six months. It's better if they work together in the past and they must be full-time in the startup, either at the type of investment or shortly thereafter. I'll make some exceptions for clinical founders if their clinical role adds value to the startup, but even in that case, the majority of their time commitment and capital commitment should be towards the startup um, because it's, just, it's so difficult to, to grow a startup and there's so many ups and downs. Commitment uh, to the problem they're solving and commitment to the startup is critical. If they pass the screening criteria, I'll ask for their deck. I'll go over what I look for in the deck, but if I am interested in what their deck says, I'll meet with them. After I meet with them, I'll think about the meeting, I'll reflect on it, I'll do some more research. Generally, when people talk about problems they're solving, they're making a bet about the future of healthcare. And I need to ask myself, am I comfortable with the same bet? So AI is a great bet a lot of people are making right now in clinical decision support tools and replacing or helping our workflows. And um, my um, my thinking on this is AI will help with patient engagement and help with clinical workflows. I don't think it will replace a decision-making in the next five years. Again, the time frame for venture and the time frame for early stage investing, if you're an angel investor, is generally um, you want returns within five to 10 years. So sometimes you'll see startups are way too early for their uh, for their stage, and if you don't think they will come to market, and if you don't think they will get market adoption within ten years, um, at least for venture capital, it doesn't fit the framework. After the research, I'll do deep due diligence. I use my network um, to do diligence in different aspects, and if I'm still interested in the startup, I will go through the legals and do reference checks. Reference checks are critical. Um, generally, a reference check with a previous investor and one to two customers um, is important. If there's anything I want you guys to take from this talk, it's having a decision-making framework. It's having a balance of intuition and structure. Usually, it's good to have a structured approach and use intuition at the end. I don't invest against my intuition, but I don't rely solely on my intuition for decision-making. Thinking is a, it's a very taxing uh, endeavor. We don't think of thoughts and uh, thinking as energy expenditure, but a chess player burns about 6,000 calories um, a day. A professional chess player, whereas a marathon runner will burn about 2,600. So you're, you're burning twice as many calories thinking uh, than you are playing chess. Be wary of your biases, of assumptions you're making. Um, a good framework for this, I, I like Danny Kahneman's framework of when to use your intuition and when not to. Essentially, he says, if you're an expert in something and it is a high validity environment, so a high validity environment is an environment which is somewhat stable, you're doing an action repeatedly and you're, you know if you're right or wrong fairly quickly. I'm a physician, so working in urgent care is a high validity environment. 
Investing is a low validity environment because after you invest in a startup, we don't know if we're doing well really till exit, which is in healthcare generally a minimum five years. So it's important to have a structure in place. That being said, within the structured process, you can use intuition um, if you're an expert and it fits that high validity framework. So what do I look for in a team? The two main things I would say I look for is founder problem fit and team dynamics. Why is this founder working on this problem? And why will they stick with this problem? Why will they continue to iterate on their solution until they find product market fit? I look for founders who have a story. I ask them how they became familiar with this problem. And then I, I just go deeper into, you know, why, why are you working on this? Um, why aren't you working on something else? Why aren't you working on something easier? Healthcare is a very difficult industry to break into. I look at team dynamics. I want to know the team has somewhat of a history. They'll stick together. I want to know every co-founder has the founder problem fit. So I speak with all the co-founders. Mark Andreessen famously says, um, strong ideas loosely held. There is a balance of uh, humility and conviction. So you need to have the conviction that your solution is a solution that will solve this massive problem you're trying to solve. You also need to have the humility to pivot when you're recognizing you're not meeting your metrics or whatever metrics you have where your solution isn't working. Which is why, again, founder problem fit, commitment to the problem you're solving is important because it will you will continue to iterate to get product market fit or founder market fit. I am not too keen on founder market fit. I know other investors um, index founder market fit, previous exits very heavily. I don't. There's, there's very few founders who have two unicorns especially within one industry. Um, there was a Harvard study in 2004 that says you have a 30% more chance of success if you're a previous founder. But, you know, that still that leaves a 70%, um, which you don't need to be a previous founder. And ideally, your previous exit, if we are sticking to data, should be a small exit. Um, that's when you, you still have the hunger and you, you want to do something big. So in terms of product, the founder has to be product problem focused, loosely held strong ideas and customer obsessed. They should have an in-depth knowledge of their product, but they need to be focused on the problem they're solving. A scalability roadmap is important. How will this scale? Early stage investing following the power law is a, is a game of outsized returns. It's a game of maximizing your upside while essentially not worrying too much about your downside. What that means is the startup must grow to immense revenue. Um, usually when I invest, either they don't have revenue or they have a couple hundred thousand in revenue. I need a path for them to grow to at least 50 million, if not 100 million in revenue. Um, and, and they need to show me what products, what other verticals we're gonna go into, what other products we'll make, or just the product they have right now. How will this scale to bring that revenue? Idealab did a study in which they, they were asking, what is the biggest predictor of startup success? If you ask uh, first time founders, they will often say their product or their team if you ask second-time founders, they will usually say distribution or how will they scale. What this study found is why now? Is the market ready for your product? There's a startup uh, in the 90s that made the iPhone before the iPhone came. Um, there were tons of different versions of Instacart before Instacart. There's, there's countless examples of startups that were too early for the market. The, the infrastructure wasn't there. People weren't ready to pay for it. 
um, Google was the 17th search engine. So, you know, the, the, is the market ready for your product? Are people ready to pay for your product is important. Identifying market tailwinds is, is critical. And this is why so much money is, is put into market research. Some market tailwinds I'm banking on as a digital front or hybrid home care model, AI focused on patient engagement. And in the near future, I think patients will make their own clinical decisions with the help of AI. Now that requires reimbursement and regulatory changes, which I'm banking on. But essentially you're making these big bets and that's how you get these outsized returns. And especially if you're making bets that other people are missing, now, you need, to have, you need to have conviction in your bets. You need to have substance behind it. You need to have done research about, okay, how were the previous tailwinds and, and why am I predicting this one? Most tailwinds are not predictable. So COVID, you know, is, is a perfect tailwind. It, it flew a lot of startups to uh, success who are not doing so well right now, but strictly from an investing perspective, we get our, you get your money out on exit. Um, so, you know, you can predict COVID, but there are other tailwinds, like when will AI reach adoption in healthcare? Is there precision medicine? It will pay a big part, will epigenetics pay a big part in medicine? And again, stick to the next five to 10 years. You know, we can all say maybe we will live in the metaverse, but if you don't think we will live in the metaverse within the next five to 10 years, I would advise staying away from investing in it in the venture model. If you're an angel investor and your timeline is 50 years, sure. Um, I think y- you can you can take a more, a longer timeline approach to investing. So I look at the business model in general as a B2B, B2C. Um, there's pluses and minuses to both. B2B is longer sales cycle, but the contracts are stickier. B2C, you know, it depends what you're, if you're competing on price, that is, it's very difficult and, and it opens the door or the door is open for others to kind of just drive their price lower. And it's a, you don't want to be a loss leader um, in a market. Competing on value is much better. And I think lots of people who are much smarter than me have talked about this. So I'm not going to get into too much, but essentially do they have a scalable business model or profitable unit economics? Is their customer acquisition cost going to go down? Are they having more organic growth? What's their cost of goods and will it go down? And cost of goods essentially is, you know, how much does it cost to make your your gut or your product? Competition. Startups should have a deep understanding of their competition. Why will they win? Do they have better product? Do they have better distribution? What is their differentiator? I don't worry too much about incumbents, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, stealing their idea. It it rarely happens. And generally, there's a competition between the startup getting to distribution before one of these incumbents, if they think this idea is validated enough, the market is big enough, and they want to devote the resources building their product. Generally, the startup will win, I would say. Um, But again, it's a good question to ask, but I don't index why won't Google do this or why won't Amazon do this too much unless they're building something that directly competes with what the incumbent um, is doing at this point or that they plan to do in the public sense in the next year or two. So traction is incredibly important and it essentially validates all the hypotheses that the founders are making, all the assumptions they're making. 
ideally they validate before they build and then they start selling their product in some capacity while they're building this is more of a mindset i just want them to value the sales process and not just the product process if you build it they will not come you have to sell it you have to have a sales marketing strategy in place branding is incredibly important here some metrics i look for what is their run rate um which is how much money they're making what's their burn rate how much money are they spending What's their LTV to CAC ratio? Um, LTV is a lifetime value for customer. CAC is a customer acquisition cost. A ratio of three to one or higher is good. In terms of legals, uh, I won't go into too much depth here. The main thing is the cap table, which is the breakdown of who owns what in the company. At my stage, the founders must have at least 60%, if not 80%. And this includes a employee stock option pool, which is uh, some equity set aside for future employees they bring on as a company skills, usually 10 to 20%. Um, they should have some intellectual property. Defensibility can be in the distribution, but for biotech, um, medical device, I, I want to know why, why is this different from other startups in their space or from people who have done this in the past. And the difference could be that now is the right market timing. Um, but I, I want to know what, why is not right, the right time and what's different about you. All um, equity for the founder should be vested, which means they're given the equity usually over four years, uh, sometimes six years. And there's a one-year cliff, which means if they leave before 12 months, they don't get any equity. What you'll see often is you, they get 25% after a year and then the remaining 75% over the next 36 months. Which is standard, I'm happy with that. I'll speak a little bit about regulatory. There's three classes um, that FDA uses, class one, two, three. Class one is low risk, class three is high risk, class two is in the middle. If you're investing in medical device, most startups will fall into class two and either they will say they're de novo or 510K. Again, most will be 510K. 510K means that there's a predicate. Someone has done this before and they're using their um, FDA approval to piggyback on. Now, if they're using a 510K, I would ask them, well, why are you different? Uh, why didn't the previous one succeed? Or if they succeeded, why will you succeed if they're the market leader currently? Um, in terms of uh, how much it costs to go through FDA approval, in including clinical trials, and how long it takes to know, I would say 3 million, 3 years, 510K. 5 million, 5 years, class 3, you need massive clinical trials, pre-market approval, you know, tens of millions, 8 years or so. And again, there's, there's a lot of variance there, but that's that's in general. So in brief, use an intuition-guided structured decision-making process, and we'll get started with uh, our questions and answers now. Thanks, everyone.